So today, hi, hi everyone here, hi everyone at home, kia ora, uh, ko Matt Mansell, toku ingoa, and uh, I'm going to be speaking to you today about covenant uh, from the book of Exodus, although it's not just me who's going to be speaking to you about it, because I've asked Zoe to help me out, so she's going to uh, start, but before I begin, I thought I'd just start with a brief introduction, why did the covenant economy fail? Because it had no profit. Aha. So Zoe's going to give us an introduction to Covenant, and uh, and then she's going to get me up to talk about Exodus. So I'll just pray. Lord, I ask for you to be with Zoe uh, as she speaks and as she shares her heart and, and the words you've given her with us. Give us open hearts to receive the word, to receive your word, in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Kia ora. Um, I believe there is PowerPoint. Um, if that is, yes, there is. Um, so I'm doing a um, very quick overview of covenants, covenants in the Bible. I don't really know which way is the right way to say it because people say both. So I'll probably say both throughout the whole thing. But um, so it's a huge topic because the whole Bible is a bunch of, a lot of different um, covenants being made. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of start with what even is a covenant. So I did what I think most people would do and Googled it. Um, so I Googled um, definition of covenant and the dictionary definition from the Merriam-Webster dictionary was a usually formal, solemn and binding agreement. And I did some more Googling because I've learned over the years that often Christians have like weird definitions for things. Um, so I did like Christian covenant, biblical covenant, theological covenant, like definitions. Um, and is this on? Yes. yes. Um, found that. So the kind of there's a lot of disagreement about like what exactly a covenant is and what counts as a covenant in the Bible, as there always is. Like the more people talk about something, the more they disagree, um, almost. But um, the common idea was that it's two or more parties bound together, um, which is really interesting because this whole thing of the specific use of the word binding and all of that stuff. Um, and even in like some like traditional Christian marriage ceremonies, they would bind the hands together, like hold hands and they tie them together with a rope and stuff. Not planning on doing that. Um, <laughs> but then there's a whole thing of covenant. It's about two parties being bound together. Um, but normally the parties agree on the terms. But with God, that like it's a bit different because. <sighs> It's kind of a bit weird compromising with God because you're really, he's like, this is what I'm doing and you kind of feel like, oh, okay. Um, so with a covenant with God, it's he initiates it. He determines and confirms kind of all aspects of the requirements of the covenant. He's like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I need to, you to do. You agree with me. And we go, yep, cool. And we meant to do what we can to uphold it. So we're meant to accept it as it's offered, um, 
you can try bargaining. It doesn't always work. Um, but, you know, we're meant to accept it as offered and to keep it and then receive the results that he says won't be withheld. So God doesn't need us to do all of these things to, like, you know, do the stuff, but he wants to. It's him going, I want to work in this partnership with you. Do you want to come along on the ride? Um, and, yeah, so it was a huge article that I took that from, but that was, like, the guts of it. Um, it was really interesting, and I fell down a lot of rabbit holes. Um, so in, so I'm going to be doing, like, a crash course of covenants in the Old Testament. So and there's disagreement about what are the covenants in the Old Testament as well. Um, so <laughs> there's four main ones that people talk about. Um, and first one is Noah. That's a bit dark there. I'll say the names as well. The first one is Noah. Um, people argue about whether or not Adam and the Garden of Eden like is a covenant or if it's just God being like, this is how you live um, because you're new people. So there's a bit of disagreement about that. This is the first one that everyone agrees is a covenant. Um, and it is outlined in Genesis 9. And the key points of this is when you look at what God outlines in the Garden of Eden, to be fruitful and multiply, they can eat all plant life. Those are the two main things that he outlines. And in this one, there are a few adjustments. He says, you can eat anything that moves. So you can now eat everything. You don't have to. And don't murder, which is really interesting when you look at what led up to Noah. Um, everyone was killing each other, which is why there was Noah's Ark in the first place. So he's like, cool, I need to explicitly tell you not to kill each other instead of just thinking you wouldn't kill each other. Um, and then there is Abraham. And this is the one I'm really going to have to try and limit myself on because I fell down the biggest rabbit hole with this. And it's really interesting. And it's not like the other, other covenants for like a lot of reasons. And oh, okay, so <laughs> could probably talk a lot about it. So I'm going to try to keep it um, nice and short because this is just a crash course. This one is talked about in Genesis 15, um, so not that long after. And main points of this is it's is a prophecy. Part of a big part of the covenant for this one is prophecy that they're 400 years stranger in a land, and then they come out into um, the land that God has called for them, the promised land. So that's also repeated at the end of Genesis. And at the beginning of Exodus, so kind of that's what that whole Exodus one is about, is um, the fulfillment, a, part, a partial fulfillment of the covenant God made with Abraham. But God didn't make the covenant with Abraham. He made the covenant with himself. And he went, for any part that you mess up in this, any way that you make a mistake, I'm going to like take the weight of it I'm going to take any aspect of this that could hurt you I'm going to carry it so I'm giving you the terms of the covenant and I am going to take the any things that could happen from the breaking of a covenant so all you have to do is or all you can do you can do what you want 
this is what I want you to do, but if you don't, I will still take the weight of it. And he will still give the promises of it. It's that basically God is making a promise with himself in front of Abraham that Abraham can then bear witness to um, and benefits from, but he can still break it. Yeah. Um, And then there is the Israel or Mosaic covenant. So uh, this is the focus of what dad's going to be speaking about. So I'll try not to step too much into his territory. Um, But this is outlined from like Exodus 24 to Exodus 34. It's like really long passage in the Bible. And a lot of it's not very interesting. Um, (laughs) it's, It's a lot of like... This is, this is like exactly what needs to be worn and this is the, you know, how to build like this thing and this thing and it's like kind of interesting but not as interesting as like the parts just before or after it where they're like arguing with each other and stuff. That might just be me though. But um, it's a very long section detailing it and part of what comes out of it is the Ten Commandments. So looking up at what led to that you then go, okay, what are the commandments? What was going on that broke, you know, that meant God went, okay, I now need to outline all of these things for you to, me to be able to be in your presence. Um, and leading up to that, so for example, the first one is do not murder. And they obviously started murdering each other again. Moses does that right at the beginning of Exodus. Um, don't take any God other than me. Don't make idols. And what are they doing while Moses is listening to God at that point? The golden calf and creating an idol. So that's the next one. And then the fourth one that everyone agrees upon is David. Um, and this is one, this is the covenant that promises Jesus. It's outlined in 2 Samuel 7 and at another point as well. But that's the first time. Um, this is the one that promises Jesus. This is um, like explicitly all of the other ones kind of build towards that in like different ways. But this is the one that really promises him. It's talked about so much throughout the prophets with like the root from the shoot of Jesse and such. Um, but uh, this is also one that a part of it being the covenant is that it's very prophetic because it is saying, you, I am promising that I will set up a lineage for you and that your kingdom will be established forever because, you know, David is God's representative on earth and all. So that's like very quick overview. Um, I encourage you to go away and read those chapters later because they are interesting, um, mostly. <laughs> The middle part, the middle part there in Exodus just really isn't. Um, and so all of these ones, um, they're all made with people. Ah, oh, there we go. Okay. They're all made with people. All people are involved in the making of them. So, um, and then all of them have promises in them that we're meant to keep. Uh, so all of the things that people are meant to do get broken you know you're not meant to murder you read through everything from like Noah to Moses and there's a lot of murder um in Abraham's covenant it talks about him having seed and uh talks about 
kind of with his partner and then he goes and tries to make it happen with himself and you get the whole story with Ishmael. Um, with the Israelites, you have the Ten Commandments and that is immediately broken through the golden calf, but it's continuously broken as you read through like the rest of the biblical story. They, you know, rarely keep all of them at once. Um, and then you have David, and he breaks his covenant uh, by killing Uriah um, and sleeping with Bathsheba. So every part that people were meant to keep was broken. And in Israel's case, it was being broken as it was being made. So, but God still gave the reward. He still upheld his end of the promise. He still upheld his end of the bargain. Um, and it kind of, God delivers even when we fail. Um, he just really um, continues to give the good gifts. He continues to give the promises even when we are not doing what we said we would, even when we're not doing what we know we should be doing. He is continuing to give out his end of the bargain. He's continuing to uphold his part of the covenant even when we screw up, even when we turn away from him. He is continuing to extend to us, as he did with the Israelites, as he did with David, his life and grace and mercy. And he says, like, I don't think what you're doing is right. You know, you're not upholding it. He says that to them, but he still loves them, and he still continues to give them that grace. Um, and he continues to reach out and keep making all of those covenants, even when they keep getting broken. None of them were kept, and it's always been people who broke it. And, but God still carried the cost of them, and God still made the choice, knowing that we would break it, to enter into a covenant relationship with us, to make a binding promise with us, and with the Israelites, and with Moses, and with David. And there is always a price that he pays because he always knows that we're going to make mistakes. But that's a part of him extending his gifting to us is that he knows we won't make the right choice. Um, and so he gives us the freedom to enter into the covenant and he gives us the freedom to uphold it. And we won't do that perfectly, but he doesn't mean that he's going to just revoke. He's like, oh, you made one little mistake. I'm just going to take away all your devices for a week or something, you know? Um, <laughs> um, and so through it all, he continues to deliver and he continues to uphold his promises. And there are times even where, you know, you make the promises and they get broken while you're making them. Like someone's like, you said you wouldn't do this thing. And you're like, I did say that as, as I was doing that thing. I thought, hmm, I did say that I would you know, empty the dishwasher today while I was lying in bed. Um, and I didn't. But even when we make those mistakes, God will still continue to do that. Even while we break them, he'll still continue to uphold them. And I'm going to hand over to Dad to talk a bit more about Exodus. Thank you, Zoe. Thanks so much for that. Uh, that, that was a... 
I needed to hear that. That was really good. Thank you. Uh, I'm just going to, going to quickly read from Psalm 89. Uh, this is Psalm 89, verse 33 to 37. Uh, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or, after what my li- or alter what my lips have uttered. Once and for all, I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie to David, that his line will continue to- forever and his throne will endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. So there in that short part of that psalm is exactly what Zoe is saying because that's preceded by uh, if his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands so if his lineage does not follow the covenant I will still uphold the covenant so so Exodus this is I, I, um, I started looking at this feeling a little bit like Zoe about the Oh, it's really good in Exodus 24 because there's all this covenant stuff that happens and then there's all this stuff about building the tabernacle and it's kind of like, oh. And then, well, then you see what happened. Then in 32, 33, and 34, you see the uh, <clears throat> what, what Israel was up to while Moses was up the mountain. So I am going to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour through 10 chapters of Exodus. Chapter 24. So in Exodus 24, if you want to go there and have a look at it, we see that, uh, so, you know, the story so far, and we've had some great messages and some great words from, from Dave and Anna and James and, and, and others right through the story up to here, right, where Israel has been, where, where God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham. 400 years later, he is rescuing his people and he has taken them out of slavery, taking them out of an idolatrous land, taking them out with might and with power. He has challenged the gods of, it, of Egypt and, and torn them down and freed the Israelites and taken them out into, into the desert to learn to be with him. Uh, and uh, there's all sorts of... Uh, I, I love it because in many ways it's such a good joining. It's such a human story. right? Did you bring us out here to die? what the Israelites say to Moses at one point because they haven't got enough to drink and yet at the same time it's such a story of God's grace and mercy and love and power and his sovereignty so we see that they've come to the mountain and this is the place this is the place where God is going to make his covenant with his people so there's sacrifice we start this chapter with sacrifice right so they they come and they, they kill some bulls and they sprinkle the blood on the people and uh, they they read the books of the covenant. It's one of the things when I was reading it. It says, um, I know, I'm not going to find the exact uh, line here, but it talks about how they sprinkled the blood on the people and then read the books of the covenant. So, yeah, so they've been recording this story as it's been going and reading the covenants that have been laid down before. And the, and the blood is sprinkled as a seal on that. Then Moses and the elders go up the mountain and they, they feast, right? There's this thin place where there's this, our, our physical reality and the, the, the wider 
reality of heaven. And there's this thin, thin place where they join and they feast in the presence of the Lord. They feast, the elders, right? and so I'm going to come back to the elders in a bit. They, they're up there and they feast in the presence of the Lord. And then Moses goes and uh, says, okay, off you go back, look after the people. Says to Aaron, you know, uh, look after the people. I'm going to go and do, do this thing. And you've got the elders, they were up there with me. You know, you were there, you all know what was going on up there. Now I'm going to go and record this. And so he goes up the mountain. And I like at the end of the, the chapter, it says, Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. On, on the seventh day the Lord called Moses to Moses from within the cloud. So it's actually up there for 46 days. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire atop the mountain. Right, so these people... The 70, I think the 70 elders, right, and Moses and that, go up the mountain, have this feast, and they come back down, Moses carries on up, and you're down at the bottom of the mountain, there's this consuming fire on top of the mountain. I always imagine a volcano. I don't know why, because I don't know, but that's, when I think about a consuming fire on top of a mountain, but that's what it looked like, right? That, or a massive forest fire, or something like a cloud, smoke, right? They talk about all of this. So you can see how the Israelites are going, okay, that's pretty intense. And then we look at uh, chapters 25 through to 31. And in that, this is God talking to Moses. God is saying, here's what I want you to do, Moses. Here's how we can establish this place where the people will see my presence with them and it will be safe for them. Because they don't want to come up here. I mean, he, I mean I'm... I'm, I'm rationalizing for God here I'm not saying it says this but you know there's a sense in which the people are afraid to go up on the mountain because of the consuming fire because of the presence of God is there and it's it's full on and they're worried they'll go up there and die but God wants to be present with his people and so what he does is he he spends this time giving Moses this instruction about how to build a sacred space where, where God can meet with his people and be present among his people. And, you know, there's a level of this which is kind of like, okay, and they built the, the, the ark was going to be this kind of wood and it was going to be this shape and all this kind of thing. And I kind of get where Zoe's coming from, but at the same time as I started to dig into it, I was like, it's kind of cool, right? It is, there's this sense in which what God is doing is saying, I want to make a home with you. And here's how we can do that. The other thing that I was thinking about when I was reading this, right, when you look at what these things are made of, right, so the ark. So have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long and, two and, a, uh, and a cubit and a half wide and a, and a cubit and a half high. Now, I was going to measure that out so I could kind of show you, but I didn't, but it's big. Um, uh, Overlay it with pure gold inside and out and make gold molding around it. And then later on there's a table also made of uh, acacia wood overlaid with pure gold and there's a golden lampstand. And then there's all these other accruements for this, this temple, uh, for this tabernacle. Uh, and then there's the, the clothing for the priests which has gold thread through it and, and gems and all this kind of stuff. So hang on, where'd they get this stuff from? 
Yeah. They walked out of Egypt with it. This was the, the, the plunder of Egypt. And I'm, I'm reading into the text here a little bit, but I feel like God's going, I'll take my 10% of that and make this place where I can live among you. You know, I'll take some of that that, you, that, you, that I gave you, I'm going to take some of that back and make this place where I live, where I can live among you. And they, they uh, and if you start looking at the significance of the, the the things that were made and the shapes and the and the, the items and all of that, they all carry deep theological significance. And I mean, you could spend ages kind of digging into why does the candle have seven, you know, and and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's, I'm I'm not going to do that, so don't worry. Uh, but it is it is it is really when you start to look at those themes because they, that 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 significance carries on through the Bible and it's in the making of the temple. And there's this pattern that God is laying down here, which I think is very cool. And so there's all this instruction about the altar of burnt offering and oil for the lampstand and what the priests are going to wear and and then how the priests are going to be consecrated. Uh, and actually at the end of uh, verse 29... It says in verse forty four, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar will and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and their and, and be their God, and they will know I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So why is he giving all this instruction? Because he wants to make his home with his people. And as he's saying that to Moses, he absolutely knows what's going on down the bottom of the mountain. Right? He's omniscient, right? He's watching what the Israelites are up to at that time. He knows what's going on, and he's still making this promise. He even appoints the artists. And, and I like this, right? These artists are anointed. They, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they will create these things, the silversmith and the, and that, and 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 I think that's it's beautiful that he has prepared all of this in advance. He bought them out. He gave them the plunder. Those artists were probably trained making uh, idols or, or or jewelry or whatever for the Egyptians. They didn't get their training walking out in the desert, right? They had spent their life making things for the Egyptians, and then he raises them up to make this place for him. And I, I just think that's beautiful. And, and I think, you know, there have been, been movements in the past that have decried art, I guess, from a Christian point of view. And I, I just don't... I think art is... We are inherently creative beings because we're made by a creative God. And, I, and art of all kinds um, can be a way of honouring honoring God. And so... And then, to, uh, for Zoe's comment, we get to the interesting bits at the end, right? So there's been this story, right? But they build the tabernacle and they clothe the priests and, and God makes this promise to live amongst his people. And what are the Israelites doing while this is going on? They are making a golden calf. And there's a little bit of me that kind of gets it. Because, you know, there's this guy, Moses, right? 
And, you know, he's, he's done these cool things and he's been a part of God, taking them out, of the desert and out into the desert. And then they've gone out into the desert and, and actually it's not that fun being out here. Maybe it was, maybe, you know, in Egypt we had houses. You know, steady supply of food, even if it wasn't great. So, and then he's gone up this mountain and he's just gone. Right? He's gone, it's been like a week. Two weeks, three weeks. You can, I can almost kind of see how people would have started going, "What's going on?" And and I can all and again they'd be looking back and going, "Well, this God's done all this stuff. We need to do something to show that we we kind of respect that this God has done all this stuff." And what do we know? Well, the Egypts, when they thought the gods had done something, they built an idol, and they worshipped that because that was that's what you do, right? So there's a part of me that kind of understands how they could rationalize their way into this. Doesn't make it right. <laughs> uh, as, as I know with my own fallenness and, and when I've talked with other people about theirs, that process of rationalizing your way into it is seductive and easy. Uh, it still doesn't make it right. So what do they do? They, 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 and what do they do with the, the plunder they were given? They take the gold and they make the golden calf. Did they use it to make the Ark of the Covenant as God was planning? No. Did they use it to make the table to overlay the acacia wood of the table? No. Did they make the lampstand with it? No. They made an idol of their own making. And it says all the people gave to this. Now I said I'd come back to the elders. right? So I can somehow, I can kind of go... The people on the ground, yep, can see that. The elders were up the mountain with God. And yet, they were a part of this. Aaron was up the mountain. And he was a part of this. So, it's very easy for us to lose sight of what God has done and then make something of our own making in the place of what he is doing. And he says, <laughs> I think this is quite funny actually. So they make this calf, right? They make this calf. Aaron makes it. I'm like, didn't know he was a goldsmith. That's pretty impressive. Makes this calf. If, if I'd made it, I'm not sure anyone would want to worship it. So clearly he did a good job. So he, he, he makes this calf and he goes, Behold, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. We came out of Egypt like, I don't know, how long ago? And we made this yesterday. But they worship it anyway. It didn't exist yesterday and yet, yeah. So just goes to show how much we can wrap ourselves up with our own logic of what it is that we're doing. Moses has been gone too long into the consuming fire. At the end of verse 1, that is their reason. For building the calf, uh, building the idol. When the people saw that Moses was too long coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. And this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, well, we don't know what happened to him. He's probably lying, well, burnt to a crisp up that mountain. So we need something else, right? And then Moses comes down the mountain. But before he does, 
So while Moses is on the mountain, is on the mountain, and God God is writing the covenant, right? And they're having this back and forth, and I can just see it. Was it two and a half cubits? Okay, yep, right. Um, and as I said, God knows what's going on down the bottom of the hill. And then in verse 9, God says, Oh, in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you bought out of Egypt, right? Not I bought them out of Egypt. So in verse 29, he goes, they will know that I bought them out of Egypt. God who bought them out of Egypt. Verse 32, he's going, oh, these are your people, mate. <laughs> who you bought out of Egypt uh, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bound down to it and sacrificed to it and, and said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people and they're stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so my anger may burn against them and I might destroy them. Then I will make you a great nation. So what that, that last, then I will make you a great nation is huge, right? He turns around and says to Moses, we'll wipe these guys out and you will become the inheritor of, this, of the, the covenant made to Abraham and you will become the great nation. And Moses, as frustrated as I suspect he was with his people, loves them, right? And God, he knows God loves them. And so he intercedes for them. And I think this is really good because, I mean, God knows what's going on here. And so there's, it's almost, I almost feel like there's a test here for Moses as well. God's going, do you love me? Do you love your people? And so Moses intercedes for them, and God leaves the door open for our intercession. And I think that's really a good thing for us to remember. He leaves the door open for our intercession. And, and Moses' intercession focuses on God's honor, right? So... Uh, you know, you don't really bargain with God, but Moses is kind of, he's not quite bargaining with God, but he's going, well, you know, you said this stuff and it's going to look bad for you if, 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 this, if you do this. And, and I think it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting listening to his intercession. Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? I just, I, I really like this dialogue, right? It's, it's 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 and it's telling that that God actually he 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 gives that space for Moses and so but Moses knows he can't let this lie right if God's anger is not going to burn then there has to be some consequence for this sin so and and I really it, so he he comes down the mountain. And he sees what they're doing, and it talks about how they're engaged in revelry, and that's likely to have been various kinds of drunkenness and debauchery and all sorts of stuff like that. So they're really going for it. And he comes down with the commandments on, this, on the tablets, and he smashes them. And it's funny, because I've never really thought much about that. But why did he smash them? I just thought, oh, he's angry, right? Smash. But actually smashing the commandments is a symbol that they have broken the covenant. He's smashing the covenant. And look what you have done. He smashes the covenant before them. 
Then he calls people to him who will stand with God. And only the Levites stand with God. Of the whole nation of Israel, only the Levites stand with God. And they go and they they kill, I guess, the 3,000 worst doers, right? From, From what I can tell. It doesn't really describe how they selected them um, and then there's this thing with the calf where he breaks it down throws it into the fire melts it down grinds it to dust and makes everybody drink it and and I think if we go back right so we go back to this plunder and God telling this giving these instructions about how to use this plunder to make a dwelling place for him it would not be right then for Moses to take the calf, melt it down, and use it to line the Ark of the Covenant, would it? It's got to go. And the people have to understand the consequences of their sin. And I think, you know, when you think about that, um, not only has he made it, does that process make it unusable for making the tabernacle, it makes that gold unusable. No one's going to sift through the leavings of all the people to find the gold dust, right? Um, it's the sinful gold is now no longer available for the building of the tabernacle or for the people. And God forgives. So the other thing is, though, that then God uh, Moses intercedes again for the nation, and God forgives the nation of Israel but still reserves the right to judge the individual sinners and so we get to 33 and 34 where the covenant is confirmed and there are new stone tablets God reconfirms his covenant with Moses and blesses him with seeing his presence so Moses has gone and fulfilled he's been he's 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 What's he, how do I describe this? He's, he's basically fought for God's honor and glory. He's come down the mountain, held the people to account, and then gone back and said, you know, we're here. And Moses returns and reconfirm, reconfirms that covenant, that covenant with the people. And they say they will obey. And it, it, this is the bit, so he's seen the presence of, there's the story about how he hides in the crack and the presence of God goes past him and, uh, and he comes down and his face is glowing. And I just had an idle thought, you know, I wonder in the new heaven and the new earth, right, after the, that, that will we all be like that, where our faces glow because we're in the presence of the Lord all the time. And you think about the transfiguration, Jesus on the mountain, and he glows, right? And and when John sees him in his vision, right, he's he's shining uh, with the radiance of the Lord. And so we see this pattern that starts in uh, in Exodus, and it's actually been going on through Genesis a bit too. And as you read through the rest of the Hebrew Testament, you'll see this. And Judges is a really good place for it, right? Because essentially, I got this out of a little bit of... Uh, when I was doing my, my training to be a, a religious studies teacher, they talked about Judges and the cycle in Judges. And so the nation of Israel is close, is close to God. 
and then they, for various reasons, and it's different each time, right? I talked about the logic of kind of falling into idolatry. They fall into idolatry, and then they fall, and they sin, and then not all of them, often, but someone or some people cry out to God, and God sends a saviour. So in Judges, he sends a judge. And that saviour then does what is required to bring the nation back to being close to God and they see God's deliverance and then they're close to God and then they fall into idolatry and you get this cycle that just goes as you see it all through the Hebrew Testament through the Old Testament and I I just want to make a, a small aside in this the covenants are filled with promises for the people who are the unworthy, really, recipients of them. They're filled with promises. And I, it just got me thinking, and that's what I mean, this is a tangent, about how God knows we're motivated by reward. And then I was thinking, well, is that a part of our fallenness? But I don't think it is. I think pers- I think that, because even the... the, the uh, What's prom- or what's said to Adam and Eve, right? There's reward in that, and I think we are made for promise. Our fallenness means that we 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 then come to that for all the wrong reasons, or we corrupt it, or we do, you know, whatever. But I think we are made for promise. I think God has made us a people of promise, and that when we return to relationship with Him, that we can be that people of promise, both the recipients of it as well as the transmitters of it. Maybe we'll talk more about that um, next time. So God works with us, though. He knows our frailty, as, as Zoe so well articulated. He knows our frailty. He knows we are fallen. He knows we cannot keep these covenants. But he works with us anyway, knowing our frailty. In the story of Exodus, we see that he makes a way for people to repent and turn back to him through sacrifice. And this pattern is set down. Excuse me. And is set down, and the people of Israel failed to live up to it. And I think I think there's an object lesson for us, as people and for humanity, about this cycle that we we fall into. And really, if we were left in this place, it would just feel. It would be too hard. You know, there'd be a sense in which we're doomed. But next week, we're going to talk about covenant in the New Testament. So, I think it would be good to have a little bit of a time of prayer. But before that, just to wrap up. Zoe talked about how despite knowing our brokenness, how God extends his grace and his love and his mercy and his healing and his, his, his justice and all of these things to us. And he, and he makes these promises with us and, and, and fulfills them. And I, there's a, I can't remember the French for it, but I remember reading a, a poem that had a French uh, sort of 
line in it that basically said, oh, the folly of the love of God. How God is furious in his longing for his people. He is a mighty warrior who will go, we've seen this in the story of Exodus, right? Who will go and, and fight for his people. Motivated by this love and passion for his people and for his creation. He made this place and he made you. And he loves you and loves this place and wants and is working towards its wholeness and redemption and your wholeness. And we can rest on the promises that he's given us. So I don't know how, um, you know, we've been in, in lockdown. It's nice that we can gather and it's then nice to see you guys on, well, not see you guys, guess, hi, people online, I don't know what to say. Um, but, you know, and it's, it's, but God is present with us wherever we are. He is, he is, his heart is for his people and you are his people. His heart is for all people, and he wants us to be his people, to go to people, and to go to creation. And so I, I want to end on that note. It sounds like, you know, it almost sounds a bit like, oh my goodness, doom and gloom, we're just in the cycle, but God has made a way. And that's our, our pointer into uh, the covenant in the New Testament. But today, I just rest in the promises of the Lord, rest in the covenants he has made, and find rest and peace in him because that's part of what he's promised to you uh, so what I'll do is um, I'll close in prayer and if, if anyone would like prayer for anything um, you're welcome to uh, come up or talk to the people around you or if you want uh, me or Zoe or someone to pray for you then you're welcome to come up dear Lord Jesus we thank you that you have made a way for us and that you are the breaker of the cycle. We thank you, Lord God, Heavenly Father, for the way that you know us. You know us in our strength and our weakness, and you know how we will. We, we can't measure up, but you still choose to work with us. You still choose to come to us. You still choose to rescue us. I just thank you, Lord, for your, your great, great love for all of us. I thank you for the promises and, and the, the, the things that you extend to us, peace and hope and joy and, uh, you know, and all of these things, Lord. I thank you for that. And I ask that you would help us to rest in you, rest in your promises, rest in your covenant. And as we go out into this week, remind us, Lord, of who you are, sovereign creator of everything and that you come to be with us and that you care about each of us individually remind us as we walk through our weeks and as we grapple with work and family and alert levels and all the other things that are going on and let us be a people of peace and hope in this time by your spirit Lord Jesus Amen Thank you very much. Thank you to you people at home. I hope you have a hope you all have a lovely day.